0: right good morning i am excited about this series we began this series last week uh cole got us started here i was getting them started in malvern um i grew up thank you jeremy um i I walked up here half dressed i realized so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna finish my wardrobe in front of you um if i can unbutton it Uh, i grew up going to church Uh, in fact i guess when i went to church i had you know Ah gosh, I had to wear those hard, there's more buttons, sorry. <laughs> this is only the second time I've gotten dressed in my life, so <laughs> that's a scary thought. Um, I, uh, you know, I had to go, when I was growing up, you know, we had to dress up and wear those uh, uh, those shirts, that button all the way up to the top, and we, I had to put a tie on, oh my word. Actually, it's the third time I'm getting dressed. The first two was very awkward. This is really normal. Um, So I had to button it all the way up to the top, um, put a tie on. I had, you know, those hard shoes when you're a kid wearing those hard shoes. You didn't wear them anywhere else except going to church. And they kind of slap the floor and make real loud noises when you walk because they're so hard and, and stiff. I hated that, but... I grew up going to church. I didn't mind going to church, though, honestly. Just I didn't like what I had to wear. Um, And so I grew up hearing about Jesus. And I grew up even knowing about, kind of hearing about what prayer was. Uh, And so from a very young age, I, I believed all these things about Jesus, because I had heard them since I was a child. I knew that Jesus had gone to the cross, I knew that Jesus had died for the sins of the world, and I knew that that included all the sins of everybody in the world. And I also knew, because we celebrated it every single year, talked about it every week almost, that Jesus rose from the dead. So I know that He rose from the dead. So honestly, I think I was pretty fortunate, because not everybody grows up in uh, in, an, in a, a house where they go to church every single week. So I grew up believing a lot of facts and information about Jesus. I never really struggled with those facts and those details about Jesus. So maybe I'm, I was just simple-minded. That's possible. That's probably also a reality, but it, I just I grew up believing that. But as I got older... Then I began to understand a little bit more. I began to connect more of the dots as I understood more things as I got older. Uh, And then I remember uh, at some point hearing the scary verse. The scary verse, right? Okay, you may not know the one I'm talking about, but you'll recognize it possibly. I don't know anything else to call this except the scary verse. Here's kind of the scary verse. I'm going to paraphrase it. It's that time when Jesus says, he says, there's many people that are going to come to me on judgment day, judgment time saying, hey, look, Jesus, look at all these things that I did for you. See all these things I did for you. And Jesus then says, and I'm going to say, wait, um, now, who are you?
1: I I don't know you. You're going to have to leave now. That's the scary verse. Scared me to death. And even today,
0: as I think about that verse, it still makes me pause and think very seriously. Because that is kind of a startling verse. Now, that is not going to be the passage that we teach from today, but have you ever heard of that verse? That's not a for many of us, that's not a surprise. If you have been in and around church for some years, you have probably run across that verse, and probably, possibly, not probably, but very possibly, if you're anything like me, it causes you to pause and to think and to wonder. To wonder things like this. I I wonder if how I'm following Jesus, am I doing it right? I mean, this whole following Jesus thing, what is it supposed to look like? Because I don't want to be one of those people who end up on that day of judgment standing before Jesus and him look at me and say, oh, wait, you? No, get out of here. I don't want that. I I mean, what happens if I believe something and I act on that for my whole life and then I get there and find out I did something wrong? I was missing something obviously, in that case, I would have missed something that was really, really important, something that really mattered. Oh boy, what am I going to do now? So obviously, if I missed something that is really important, something that was crucial, something that was critical, I would want to know what that is. And so that is what today is about. So if that scary verse has ever caused you any anxiety or any fear or to cause you to stop and wonder and wonder and wonder and wonder, then I believe today could be very beneficial for you. Because today I hope we might shed some light on some of that worry that says, what if I get something wrong? What if I don't get it all right? But before we get there, let me give you a quick recap of where we were last week. Last week, we started this series with some really important information. Because what we talked about last week dealt with who Jesus is, which is so important. In fact, I'm going to hammer this nail for about the next five minutes-ish. Because this is so important, what we talked about last week. Who is Jesus? Jesus. It is so important because when we talk about Jesus, we need to, we must actually define who Jesus is according to who Jesus says that he is. We must define it according to what does Jesus say that he is. That distinction matters a lot. Three questions. Who does the New Covenant, the New Testament, say Jesus is? Or we could say, who does our neighbor say Jesus is? Or we could even say, who does the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, who do they say that Jesus is? And I'm going to tell you this, only one of those answers matters. Now don't be fooled. Because you can have the name of Jesus, that same word, in the name of your church you can even have that name Jesus as part of the title of your organization but it's not the Jesus as described by God in the new covenant. If that's not who they're talking about then it is not Jesus at all. And I want to be so lovingly clear on this point. So please, if I offend you in this, please give me the grace and the patience to say, let me listen to everything he's going to say before I get up and walk out today. I just want to be lovingly clear. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church as we grew up calling them, that church does not believe in the Jesus as described in the new covenant and the Jesus that we described last week using the first five verses of the gospel of John. And this is so important. You must know the difference. And the only way to know the difference is by knowing in detail the real Jesus as described Jesus. Do you know where the Church of Mormon, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, do you know where they get most of their converts? From Christian churches. Yeah. It's from people attending Christian churches. And do you know why they get so many converts from people attending Christian churches? And here's why, I think. Because so many people attending Christian churches don't really know who Jesus is as described by God himself in the new covenant. If you don't know how Jesus, how God describes himself, who is Jesus as described by God himself in the new covenant, then it is so easy to be convinced of something entirely different. Therefore, we must know who Jesus really is. Because if we don't, we might be the next ones to desert the real God of the Bible and follow after a lie. Now, if you haven't already, I hope, you if you missed it, I hope you will go back and get the information we talked about last week. It is so important. Because John sheds light for us on who Jesus really is. I want to share something with you. It it was so alarming to me Um, as I was preparing uh, for this uh, today. One of the articles I read was out of a national, non-denominational Christian publication, and they were talking about missions, efforts, of denominations. So a denomination is something like Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, are all Protestant denominations. There's many more. Those are Protestant denominations. And so, and all of those denominations that are Christian denominations, they believe in the Jesus as described by God in the New Covenant. They believe that. But alongside, in this article, written, it's a non-denominational Christian article, alongside of those denominations that are Christian, they listed, as if they were a denomination,
1: the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church. As if they are Christian. And again, they call themselves Christian, They say
0: they believe in Jesus, but I cannot be more clear. I can, but I don't have time.
1: They do not believe in the Jesus as described in the New Covenant. And so if that Christian publication is confused,
0: then the average person sitting in a Christian church
1: today is probably also very, very confused. And we cannot afford, as followers of Jesus, to lean our
0: ladder against the wrong tree. And spend our lives climbing that ladder only to get to the top and realize that was not Jesus at all. Which is one reason why we're spending this year, this entire year, focusing on who is Jesus. Right alongside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints,
1: there are other people, other people who are also not believing They use the same name, but not believing in Jesus as described by the new covenant. Let me jump back real quick. Church of Jesus
0: Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you follow that religion, let me just give you a, a thumbnail, postage stamp version of here's what they teach, okay? They will teach you That one day, if you live the good Mormon, Latter-day Saint life, if you follow all the Mormon rules, then one day, you, if you're a man, you will be the God, literally, God of your own planet. As God of Earth is God of Earth. You will have your own planet. Ladies, the best you can hope for is that you will be the wife of one of those gods and you will birth celestial beings your entire
1: eternity to populate that planet. They're not going to tell you that on the first day. That is what they teach. Now listen, they use
0: the Bible their version, their translation, it's the only one to prove, alongside the Book of Mormon as an equal, actually really here, and then they take what can only be determined, they take their, their, their current living prophet, who is even above
1: that, and whatever he says, that's what goes. I, I just, I've got to move on. There's another group that they don't believe Jesus
0: as defined by Scripture. And that's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Just going to let you know, they are not Christian as defined because their definitions are different. And if your definitions change Jesus, you're not following Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament. You got your ladder on the wrong tree. You're going to climb it your whole life and get to the top and realize my ladder's not on
1: the right tree. I've been climbing my whole life. I'm on the wrong tree. All right. I, I think I've
0: hammered that nail enough for today. That's the most offensive thing I'm going to say today. So I, I hope... You're here with me. I hope you understand my heart. I don't want you to be deceived. The only way you can keep from being deceived is by knowing the real Jesus. So that when someone says otherwise, you recognize it. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, that's not my Jesus. Maybe the same name, but it's not the same person. So let me quickly catch us up. I'm going to just run through these really quickly. McKinley's going to have them on the screen. Here's what we talked about last week, but this is not enough. What I'm saying right now is not enough for you to skip what we said last week. You need to go back and get the details. This is the the thumbnail. This, this, this is the quick sketch here. We said that God uses words about the word to help us understand him more and that God's word is a person. It's the Son. It's Jesus Christ. We also said that God's word, which is Jesus, is distinct from God the Father and yet completely God Himself. All right, we said that. Um, And that yet, even though they are distinct and separate, they are still one God. We also said that the word, uh, the word, Jesus, is not only present at creation, but according to God's word, the word, which is Jesus, that the Father is creating through him, through the Son's words. We also said this, that God the Son brought life and light to everyone then in the past, at creation. And he's still bringing us light and life today. And we said that that light and is from God's son. It is from Jesus. So up to, from then up to this very point, his light opposes darkness, dispels darkness, and, um, and exposes darkness opposes dispels and exposes darkness we also said this that the darkness will never overcome the light of god's son and it didn't overcome it then because jesus died on the cross and he was stone cold dead but he walked out of the tomb so the darkness did not overcome the light jesus then and the darkness won't overcome his light today and it never will in the future and last week, Cole and I said, oh, that is a lot. But please, if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to that either on SoundCloud or on the Facebook uh, Live, uh, whatever's saved up on in the world of the internet. So please, please go listen to it. Now, this week, as we continue our journey through the writing of John in his biography of Jesus, as we continue, we're going to look at every single place in that biography where John or Jesus mention light or darkness. And so today, that takes us to a place where. We have John quoting Jesus, and you're going to recognize um, some of what we say today as we read a verse here in just a moment. But then the very next part after that is going to be some of the most overlooked passages in all of the New Covenant. And it's so overlooked because what comes before it is so famous. We usually stop with the famous verse. But the truth is, we cannot. It is so dangerous to stop with the famous verse because we will be misled. We cannot understand the famous verse, the the one where Jesus is quoting, without understanding the rest of the quote which follows for three or four more verses. We have to understand those in order to understand the famous quote. So if we stop with the famous quote, We might have our ladder up against the wrong tree. All right, for some context, this whole quote involves Jesus speaking to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a very high-ranking Pharisee, which is a professional religious person. But this professional religious person named Nicodemus was very interested in Jesus and amazed by what he was seeing in and around the life of Jesus. So Nicodemus, um, he arranges a secret meeting with Jesus. So it happens at night and it happens in hiding because he doesn't want other Pharisees to see him talking to Jesus because they hated Jesus. Nicodemus, the jury was still out. He was investigating still. And this conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus have together quickly moves to the point where Jesus is telling Nicodemus his purpose for being here on the earth. And according to Jesus in this conversation, his purpose, his one purpose for being here was not to show us how to live, although that is a side benefit. His one purpose is to redeem the world. And John was there recording this conversation, remembering it, and recorded it later. And we're going to pick this conversation up with verse 14 in the biography John wrote about Jesus, John chapter 3, verse 14. And here's where we pick it up. It's very cryptic, very mystical. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, and let me read this to you. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, this is very mysterious to us. This would this this thing about Moses lifting up the bronze thing. We'll talk about that someday. It's amazing. But to Nicodemus, oh, he was very familiar with that story. And so Jesus just said to Nicodemus, "Hey, listen." Just like Moses did that with uh, this, this stake and pull this thing. Just like, well, the Son of Man and Jesus, he knows, he's talking, Nicodemus knows, he's talking about himself. I'm going to be lifted up. There is no way that Nicodemus understood what Jesus was putting together. Because Jesus, with this conversation, is, it's, it's, it's this side of the cross. The cross had not happened yet. Now, once Jesus died on the cross... Both John and Nicodemus would understand and remember this from a very different perspective, the perspective that Jesus was talking about, but probably not before. There's almost no way they could have understood. And so he goes on. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus is implying, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. Verse 15. So that everyone who believes in him, Jesus is saying, That's me, him, believe in me, will have eternal life. So remember, this side of the cross. They probably didn't put it all together. They're not understanding. Jesus is getting ready to die. So it's still probably a little cryptic and mystical to Nicodemus and honestly to John. But here's the famous part. I almost guarantee that you recognize this. The famous part of the verse is verse 16. John 3:16. right? Here we are. For this is how, this is a quote from Jesus. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. McKinley, leave this on the screen for me. Um famous verse, right? We recognize that. That's you know, we see it at the football games, we see it in the state, we recognize that verse. One of, if not the, most famous verse in the new covenant, quoting Jesus. But we need to understand. So I'm going to explain this morning something that is so important to us understanding this verse. We need to understand what Jesus is saying from the perspective of what Nicodemus is hearing. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. I'm thankful that John wrote it down for us to read. But we need to understand what Nicodemus heard. Because when I listen to that verse today and when I was a kid growing up, here's what I thought, because here's what it sounded: We just need to believe in Jesus. In fact, you have been taught probably, if you've been in church any amount of time, you just need to believe in Jesus. Because that's what Jesus said. He said, anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. And so I thought, yeah, I do. I believe that Jesus was here. I believe that he was God. I believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe all of that. But as you move through the no covenant, you know what else we find? We don't talk about this as much, unless we're trying to scare you, (laughs) which I'm not.
1: We also hear that the demons also believe. And they tremble. They believe all of that information I just told you. Yet they are not going to make it. So evidently, our American version of John
0: 3.16 doesn't tell us everything we need to know. Because the demons also believe. So was Jesus lying to us? Is there more to it? Is he hiding something? No. The problem is in language.
1: From Greek to English. And the word that was chosen by translators was believe in. Believe in.
0: But that's not what Nicodemus heard. When Nicodemus heard this word Two words for us. Believes in. It does not mean agreeing with facts about who Jesus is and what he did. That is not what Nicodemus heard. The word that was translated in English as believes in actually means this i'm going to give you a string of words that describe what that word means confidence in relies on clings to entrust their life
1: to doesn't that make it more clear do the demons believe in have confidence
0: in, rely on, cling to, trust their lives to Jesus.
1: To have an eternal connection with God, Jesus is saying, that's what
0: you do. You have confidence in whomever, Jesus says, whomever has confidence in, relies on, clings
1: to, entrust their life to me, Will have everlasting life. It's
0: interesting to me as we look through the biography of John. We spent uh, we spent last Sunday all morning long on five verses where John, the writer, is describing Jesus as the Word. And no more in the rest of this biography will John describe Jesus as the Word anymore. That's the only place it's going to happen. Right there. No more. He no longer uses that description again for the rest of the biography. And he doesn't have to, and here's why. Because John opened his biography by declaring that Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus is God. And now he has made that abundantly clear with those first five opening verses of the biography of John. So here's what John is saying. The words of Jesus are the words of God. And we need to remember that for the rest of especially today. Because as we look at this account, we are looking at the words of Jesus. This is a direct quote of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. And they not only carry the authority of the creator God, they do that because he is, Jesus is, the creator god so with that in mind let's look at what jesus what god is saying to nicodemus in the rest of this quote so we're not going to stop with john three sixteen. jesus we're going to find out here in just a moment is going to tell nicodemus that his words the words of jesus bring life and light to everyone And we're about to read in the words of Jesus that to ignore the words of Jesus is to do the opposite of clinging to, relying on, entrusting one's life to Jesus. And if we refuse to do that, then that brings death and darkness and judgment upon ourselves. Now this is huge. Remember, this is a quote from God. And what comes next, Jesus is going to be explaining what living John 3.16 looks like. And he's going to be explaining what rejecting John 3.16 looks like. And he's going to paint a vivid picture of what all of this looks like. The person who clings to versus the person that doesn't. In the next few verses, Jesus is going to explain what it actually looks like to believe in, to have confidence in, rely on, entrust one's life to, to cling to Jesus. But he's also then going to explain what it looks like for the person who doesn't. So remember those worries that I talked about at the very beginning? Remember that scary verse? Remember showing up and Jesus looking at us and saying, "Mm -mm, not you, go away. Yeah, well, Jesus is getting ready to shed some light on all of that for Nicodemus. And in turn, through that conversation, he's going to do the same for us. So here is what Jesus says next, immediately following that most famous verse. So here's verse 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And this is such a significant statement. Because yes, judgment one day is going to happen. We know this by reading other parts of Scripture and listening to Jesus as well. We know judgment is coming. But according to Jesus, who is God, that is not why God the Father sent God the Son in flesh. Not for judgment. In fact... Judgment is not why the word became flesh. So this whole thing about God living among us, it's in order to make it possible for us to avoid that judgment. If we will follow the light, walk in the light, live by the light, because, he goes on in verse 18, because, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Now, here's that word again. So we need to understand that. For anyone who believes in, has confidence in, relies on, clings to, trusts one's life to Jesus,
1: there is no judgment. But not so. For someone who just agrees with the facts. Agreeing
0: with the fact of who Jesus is. And why he came and what he did. Is not the same as having confidence in. Relying on. Clinging to. And trusting one's life to the care and the control of Jesus. Now as any good teacher does. Jesus goes on. And he makes this crystal clear because while jesus is going to die for all people being saved from that judgment does not automatically happen for anyone so jesus is going to make that very clear he goes on because as jesus continues but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in and God's one and only Son. There is so much there to unpack. We're going to unpack a little bit of it. We can't get it all. From this portion of Scripture and from other places, we understand it is clear. Somehow, God already knows all of the souls who will continue in disbelief and rejection of God. He already knows. And according to this statement, God knows the person who will continue in their life to not rely on, to not cling to, to not trust in, to not entrust their lives to Jesus. To his care and control. He already knows who is not going to do that. And Jesus says, and upon themselves, they have already brought judgment and just in case this is not sinking in for us just in case so this we have this greek word that is used that our translators have translated as believed in jesus places that word three times in this one sentence As if to say, this is important, you better understand this, believe it, you better understand what that means, believe in, if he does believe it, if he does not believe it, you better understand what it means, three times in one sentence. As if Jesus is saying, don't misunderstand me, you need to get this right, it is, it is Not mental agreement, like we think with believing in. No, 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 no. No, he's emphasizing three times. You must believe in. You must have confidence in. You must rely on. You must cling to Jesus. You must entrust your life to the care and the control of Jesus. He's saying this is important because that is the only way to escape the judgment. That is coming, and he says, "To refuse this good and amazing gift is
1: to call down judgment upon one's self." In other words, it's not God's fault.
0: And Jesus goes on in verse nineteen, and the judgment is based on this fact. Oh, okay. So here we say, okay, so this is important. He's giving us a standard here. Uh, this is going to be, it sounds like to me, he said it's based on this fact. So now we have a standard. We have some kind of standard. Here is how God's going to determine if we have believed in, relied on, cling to, and trusted our life to Jesus. There's some kind of proof. Here's what he says. It is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. Whoops. There it is. Listen to this. Jesus is saying a person brings judgment upon themselves because apparently what we are hearing from Jesus, at some point they were face to face with the light of Jesus. But they preferred darkness. Jesus is saying everybody makes a choice. But I look at this and I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me though. This doesn't make sense. Why? Why would people turn their back away from Jesus? Why would they turn away from Jesus and instead claim to rely on trust in darkness instead why would they do the opposite and jesus answers that he says for their
1: actions were evil now this is a huge huge statement don't miss it
0: do you ever worry That Jesus might one day look at you and declare, I don't
1: know you. You're going to have to leave now. Does that worry you? Then here's my response to that.
0: Look at this comparison that Jesus, God himself, gives us. There are two outcomes. There is no gray area. There is no, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus plus I'm going to do these other things I want to do myself.
1: That's Jesus plus living. We talked about that in January, February. Now, that's
0: gray area. And this is not gray. Jesus, you've got one one or the other. Jesus is saying you will either cling to, rely on and trust in, have your confidence in me the son, or you're going to cling to, rely on, immerse yourself into whatever it is that you
1: want to do. And look, I get it. This
0: is all a little clunky for me as well. I promise you, it is. The, these are not easy things for me to describe. They're not easy things for you to describe either. They're not easy for me to take these phrases and to paint pictures with them so that we can understand. So this next piece of this breakdown as we analyze this verse very these verses very deeply this next piece is utterly critical for us to understand what's going on here um hey mckinley stick that verse that last verse back up on the screen for me i want to look at something
1: thank you sir um oh yeah there it is right there right right here That word, loved. In a nutshell,
0: here is what Jesus is referring to. So in just a moment, McKinley's going to switch the screen, and this is going to be, not yet though, the only word that's up there. But I want to read this passage one more time. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people, so not everyone, just some, People loved the darkness more than the light for their actions. Why? Their actions were evil. Okay. Why did this? Why did it all happen? Because some people loved. All right. McKinley, you can, you can switch that screen now. Let's just look at that one word, loved. When we see that word, we see affections of the heart, and that makes sense to us. But we also know that there have been times for all of us. Haven't there been? That we, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you think to yourself, but wait a minute, there have been times that I've chosen sin over Jesus. And the answer would be yes, I have too. You have too. We all have. Which can lead us to have some, okay, I'm right back where I started. I, 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 now I'm worrying again. So I want to break down and help you understand what this word means so that it helps make everything else that came before it also make sense. And I know, I know, I know, I know that this can wear you out as Cole and I keep jumping back and saying that we're going back to this original language and, and, but here, this is why we are. To make this clear to us today in English in 2023. So I know this whole Greek context thing can
1: wear you out. I know it can. But let me give you the literal meaning of this single
0: word that Jesus is using. And we get this because all of these Greek words have tenses to them, a specific tense. Uh, which changes the meaning of what is being said. Our English language does not do what the Greek language does. The English language is more detailed than the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament's written in. But the Greek language is much more detailed than the English language.
1: And the New Covenant's written in English, and here's what John recorded. As a quote for Jesus. That word loved. They loved the darkness. Not Jesus, the light. They loved the darkness. So here's what Jesus is saying. People
0: rejected the light that came for them. That's Jesus. Came for them, not to judge them. He came to keep them out of judgment. He came to them. They rejected. And at some point, this is what this one word loved mean. At some point in their past, that's why it's past tense. They made a choice at some point in their past to, here's the key word, permanently set their love on darkness. I'm going to say that again people rejected the light some people rejected the light that came for them and came to them and at some point those people made a choice to permanently set their love on darkness and the greek Tense of that word loved is saying just that it points to a time in their past we don't know when that time was at some time in their past while they're living on this side of life not that side of life after they've died some point while they're living in their past there was a permanent a lasting decision that was made So here, literally, is what these words mean from Jesus. So Jesus, the light, he came to the world. But at some point, some made permanent decisions to love the darkness instead of Jesus, the
1: light. And why? He answers it in verse 20. Here's what he says. Because
0: all who do evil hate the light. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that does make more sense. And he's using strong language here. They hate the light. I've never said I hate Jesus. Well, here's what's happening. By the way someone lives, they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus and what he stands for. Maybe not through their words, but by the way that they are living. And that makes them refuse, he goes on, all, evil, all who do evil hate the light and they refuse to go near it for their sins will be exposed. This is making John 3.16 much, much more specific and much, much more clear. Jesus is saying, coming to me, coming to the light. It means you are going to have any darkness that is living inside of your life and any darkness inside of the life of Harley. It is going to be shown by the light of Jesus for what it is. And that darkness is going to be rebuked by the light of Jesus for what it is. And no one likes this. This is an uncomfortable process. I don't like it. You don't like it either. It is uncomfortable and it's possibly painful having the light, Jesus, expose the darkness in our life for what it is. And this will keep some people away from Jesus forever. See, we're not like bugs. We're not drawn to the light. We're not attracted to, to the light no no it's in our nature to run from the light to run from being exposed go all the way back to genesis chapter 3 adam and eve all the way back the very first people ever created all the way back what did they do they hid from god and we humans have been doing that ever since now as jesus has done several times already He gives us the opposite of this truth, which is also truth. And it's in verse 21. But those who do what is right, that literally translate, he that does the truth. I love that. You've been raised saying, hey, tell the truth, tell the truth. You better tell the truth. And here Jesus is saying, huh, do the truth. He that does the truth. There are not only words that are true. Jesus is saying there are also actions, behavior, decisions, choices that are true. And Jesus is saying anyone who makes a habit of doing what is true, they come to the light. They come to the light. They come to Jesus. Now let's be very clear. Jesus is not teaching. That we can be saved by what we do, by doing the truth. That we can be saved by somehow strengthening our good nature inside of us. No, 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 no. Jesus is speaking of a person who responds to the light, who is believing in, relying on, clinging to, entrusting their life to the care and the control of Jesus, the light. And the person who loves the light, as a result of loving the light, the person does truth. Their decisions, their actions prove that they have truly encountered and come to the light. And he goes on, he says, so others
1: can see that they are doing what god wants that's what light does it makes it visible it makes it clear for all to see when a person loves the light what is
0: being done through god is now obvious and visible because they have submitted to clinged to, relied on, entrusted their life to the care and the control of Jesus, the light. And we all love John 3.16, but John 3.16 requires verses 17 through 21 in order to understand John 3.16. You don't get one. One without getting the rest. So here's my summary. What does John 3.16 and 3.17 tell us? It tells us this, that God loves the world so much that he sent himself. And anyone who believes in, clings to, and trusts their life to his care and control, they will not be judged. So here's my question. What are you doing with this truth? Of John 3.16 and John 3.17. And next in John 18 and 3.18 and 19. He goes on and says this. But anyone who does not cling to rely on and trust their life to the care and the control of Jesus.
1: Is already judged. And if you choose judgment and many will. This is
0: why. He tells us, because at some point some people made a permanent decision to love darkness more than god's light, and then, in verse twenty and twenty one it takes us all the
1: way back to our original question: Do you worry? How do you know if you have rejected Jesus? And he answers that. He tells us in this verse
0: that our choices reveal the decision that we have made. Because this is how you know if you have submitted to Jesus, your choices reveal the decision you already made. And according to Jesus, at some unknown point in one's life that rejection of Jesus
1: becomes permanent this side of heaven. So your habitual actions don't determine your result of salvation or judgment. No, 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 no. Your habitual actions reveal the choice you already made. Now listen, Jesus is not trying to scare Nicodemus.
0: He is simply laying out and being clear about who he is, what he came to do, and what that looks like for us. And at the risk of being redundant, I don't want to leave here today without being absolutely clear about what Jesus said. Jesus said they loved the darkness at some unknown point in their life. That decision of rejecting Jesus became a permanent decision in their life which leads me to ask this question if you've been rejecting jesus how long have you been rejecting jesus
1: because at some point that rejection becomes your permanent
0: decision and according to to jesus not harley the permanence of that decision happens before it is sealed by death that's what you've grown up being taught according to jesus at some point they made a permanent decision to love the darkness and they were rejecting the light and it became permanent okay listen how long have you been rejecting jesus How long have you been running from that light? We are all here today for various different reasons. I'm not sure your reason specifically today, but I can look back at my life and I remember the years I spent rejecting Jesus clearly at the invitation. This is basically what we call an invitation, but we're not going to ask you to come down here. We're inviting you to Jesus, not to down here. Every time there was a thing called an invitation, I grabbed the chair in front of me called a pew. And I, I squeezed it so tight, I white knuckled it because I was willing myself to stay. I was rejecting. I said, no, I, I'm not going to embarrass myself because everybody thinks I'm already a believer. They think, they know, I, I believe those things about Jesus, which is why they say I'm a believer. I only believe the facts. I was not clinging to, relying on, submitting my life to, and trusting my life to the care and the control of Jesus. I was not. I just believed that he died
1: and he rose again. And I remember in my own life a specific moment.
0: He may not treat you this way, I don't know. He can't, I, I did not hear this audibly, but in my heart, here's what I felt. Harley, you have been rejecting me and rejecting me and rejecting me. I didn't feel like I was clinging to the darkness. I felt like I was clinging to myself and what I wanted. But according to Jesus, that's darkness.
1: And in my heart, he said, you've been rejecting me, rejecting me, rejecting me. But I'm going to invite you one more time to believe in, to cling to,
0: trust in, entrust your life to my care and control. That's what I felt in my heart. And at that time, I realized this is my last chance.
1: That if I reject him now, I will reject him forever. My heart will close. I don't
0: know that he will communicate that with your heart. I don't know. I can't say that. I just, I'm telling you my experience, not so that, I'm just telling you my experience so that if you're struggling with this rejecting Jesus thing, that you understand I have been there too. But at some point, according to Jesus, they loved the darkness, and, and that loving the darkness to a point where they, that was their final rejection of Jesus, and their hearts closed, their minds closed, and they never again had the opportunity to come to Jesus because it was now permanent.
1: That's God's business. That is not my business. But I need to let you know about it. How long have you been rejecting Jesus? And
0: here's what I came to the conclusion for myself I said, My pride, my pride has kept me from relying on and letting people know it, clinging to entrusting my life to the care and control of Jesus because they already think I'm a believer. And for me to admit that now, I just can't do that. And in my heart, it was like, okay, my pride's going to take me to hell because I was too proud to rely on, submit my life to His care and control and admit to people, He has
1: saved me. Now He has saved me. And I stepped over my pride. And in that moment, I entrusted my life to the care and the control of Jesus. And I told the world about it. I let them know. I had been living as if I were really
0: submitted to Jesus, but I wasn't. I knew the facts, but the facts don't save you. Submission, repentance, turning from my way to his, that's what saves me. He saved me. I don't know how long you maybe have been rejecting Jesus if you've been rejecting Jesus the life, but that I just leave you with that question. Have you been avoiding the discomfort of allowing him to deal with what has been hiding in your heart? What's been hiding in the darkness? Do you find yourself rejecting him once more right now and this moment? And here's why I ask because at some point, and this is absolutely this is absolutely terrifying to me because at some unknown point, I can't tell you when, your rejection of Jesus, the light, becomes your permanent choice. Because at some point, your heart will close and you will never hear him call you again so don't lose sight of this those who come to the light you can tell you can tell because the light slowly begins to change everything about them because that's what light does it reveals what is in the darkness and it changes it to light And if you have been rejecting him, but you feel him calling you right now, then here's what I have to say to you. Jesus, I believe, would say this, come follow me. Now is that time, right now, for you to rely on, cling to, and trust your life to the care and the control of Jesus right now before your rejection becomes permanent
1: and you will not see it coming. So what is your choice right now? And I pray that if you're making Jesus the boss
0: of your life right now, for the first time relying on, clinging to, and trusting your life to the care and the control of Jesus, we call it making Jesus the boss of your life. Will you let us know on the back of your connection card because we want to get you some information. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. Make
1: sure we have good contact information for you. If that's what you're doing, please let us know right now. Let's pray.
0: God, I offer you a prayer of commitment. And these words are not what define us as following you, Jesus. These are mere words as best we can to communicate with you. To communicate with you what our heart is saying if we are trying to say to you Jesus I want to trust in you I want to rely on you I want to submit my life to your care and control so Jesus these words are imperfect but there may be someone here today who is wanting to do that with their life so I offer these words and to our friends in this theater As I pray these words, if this is what your heart is echoing, these words are not a magic spell. They don't save you. It is not these words. God is listening to your heart. But you can simply, if this expresses your heart, you can say, God, that's me too. Yes, that's me too. Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for me. I believe that. I believe that fact. That you died from the sins for the sins of the world. That you came here from heaven. That you are Jesus. You are God's son. You died for me. Three days later, you rose again. And God, somehow, will you help me in this moment to now choose to rely on you and you alone, Jesus? To cling to to you, Jesus. To trust you, Jesus. To entrust this life that you gave me to you and I give it to you for you to care for and for you to control. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.